Grab your glasses, ladies. It's time for a spot of tea. Thank you so much for joining me for this quick break to just recognize, unite, and inspire moms, mommies-to-be, and women alike. Your situation might not be ideal and perfect, but guess what? Whose is? Our house rules here. We keep it real and we keep it moving. So as long as you can do that, you can get down with us at the tea time table. You can't pour out of a cup that's on empty. Yes, come on in or welcome into the Spot of Tea podcast. I'm your host, Jasmine Lee, and I just want to set some ground rules aside from my normal house rules. If you've been experiencing any cold-like symptoms, just make sure today at the tea time table, you just keep your social distance. Y'all want to be safe, Um, but in all seriousness, it seems like each week, this stuff with coronavirus continues to escalate. Like even when we spoke last, it wasn't as heightened as it is now. And I know that it's going to fall, but I have truly been praying for people who have been personally affected um, because it is very serious. And there are a lot of people whose family members have been personally affected, who have fallen ill, who are struggling um, and really fighting for their lives right now. So Being real, you know, we all want to keep people who are struggling with that in our prayers. And we certainly will be here on Spot 2 Podcast. But for tea time today, for those of us who are still working from home or quarantining uh, voluntarily, whatever the case may be, the one thing that is definitely getting us through is the means, okay? Um... Yes, there are people who have very serious um, symptoms and illnesses and situations going on, and we want to not make light of that. But truth be told, some of y'all are cutting up about about this uh, coronavirus. I have seen so many. Um, somebody said that the country looked like when Scar ran Pride Rock. Somebody said, shoot, I was broke anyway. Three weeks in the house is right in my budget, which I can feel. I felt that. I have seen videos like on Twitter. So I'm just like, y'all are a hot mess. If you have any other memes that um, are classic, please tag me because this is going to be in the memories of 2020 for sure. At the end of the year, when we wrap up all the things that have happened, the good, bad, and the ugly, um, the memes just bring comic relief because we need something. Can you imagine if we were going through this back in like 2000? or something when the internet and memes really wasn't a thing it would be there would be so much anxiety we would be so bored out of our minds like and there is still anxiety right now so just imagine how much more heightened it would be without some kind of stress reliever um and speaking also of all the things that corona is producing um we did drop some work from home tips on at spot of tea podcast on instagram and facebook if you need to check those out but one of the things that i was wondering when and we posted about this for tea time too like i was wondering okay what's the best and worst part of all this because for some people it's not all bad um and it's definitely not all good um we know that the ramifications of this it they're gonna last a long time you're talking about not just people who have unfortunately been out of work or laid off but 
even, you know, how about emotional ramifications when some people do get back to work, you know, they're on their job stress because they have bills that piled up that they have a gap that they, you know, trying to figure out how am I going to fill this? And I know that there are, you know, all kinds of talks about stimulus and all that, but still there are certain problems that we don't see in certain people's households that are definitely going to, you know, be manifest because of this or people upset with their employers for, you know, the way that they handled it. So now there's, you know, issues, tension with the morale. It's just all kinds of things. Tawana Farley commented and she said, the best part is having more time with family, worse not knowing what lies ahead for school with my older kids, which again is another ramification of all of this. And I know that it's frustrating. I know that it's kind of like there are so many things up in the air with different states as far as state testing, all kinds of stuff like that. So this is going to be something that we deal with for a long time. But I know that I said for me, the best part was not having to drive in Atlanta traffic every day. If Even if you don't live here, you know, you've heard that it's it's a beast. I've I've lived in many big cities, but I've never experienced it on this level because it's literally basically all day. It's it's terrible. Um and then the worst part is just the mixed messages from all over the place, not just from I mean, I'm talking about from people's employers, like, okay, we're gonna do this. No, scratch that, we're gonna do this. Oh, it's working like this. Nope, that doesn't work. We're gonna do that. And I understand that this is definitely unprecedented, but it gets so confusing for people who have, you know, families, who have just plans made up, all kinds of stuff like that. But even the mixed messages through different forms of media. And as a journalist at heart still at the core, but a former reporter, like, I'm not the person that's going to be like, the media want us to no. So don't even get me started on that because I will. Mm-mm. But it, what I mean is, like I saw somebody, for example, just like two days ago, post on their Facebook status, oh, Florida has the most cases. And that's not true at all. Clearly, New York has the most cases. Like, and I'm glad that most of the people who commented said like, no, New York, New York. But some people believe that when she said that some people wouldn't have gone back to the comments to, you know, see what was the truth or they didn't look it up themselves so it's just like that type of stuff that person probably got that from somewhere they probably didn't just decide to make that up they may have got it from somebody else who was misinformed but things like that are dangerous especially in times like this where there are so many different health ramifications all kind of stuff like that so that's kind of been the most frustrating part I really thought I was going to be able to catch up on a lot more shows than I have been able to but Hidden Gem please take heed I've been having my tea of the week, which is Tazo Green Ginger Tea. Shout out to that. Um, and I've been watching Family Matters on Hulu, okay? Family Matters is an underrated classic, okay? Underrated. Because, of course, first of all, I don't know who if you knew this, but it's the third longest-running show in history. I believe that House of Pain and I can't remember the other show that was longer. Um, but it first of all, is really good. Um, Just, of course, I remember it, but I guess the age group that I'm in, I watched it, but it wasn't like, you know, appointment viewing for me because I wasn't old enough to know, oh, Family Matters comes on at 8 o'clock, let me sit down type of thing. I kind of watched it more when it was already in syndication, I think, I feel like at least. But um, 
it's just like it's funny it's funny it's good it has substance there is like lessons and it just makes you really miss sitcoms and sad that there aren't really there isn't really room for sitcoms in this day and age like because I think reality tv just kind of saturated so much that we would we would never just sit and watch sitcoms anymore there's still room for dramas but sitcoms I don't where you think so, but at least we have those classics. So definitely, if you're looking for something else to watch, they got all nine seasons on there. Now, I watched, like, the first two, maybe, and then I jumped to, like, the older ones because I wanted to see more of, like, Steve when they were older and stuff. But I I will go back. So definitely, I recommend that. But speaking of classic shows, this is a serious debate. Do you notice the change in tone? Okay, anybody who knows me, yes, you know I am a power fan. But before there was power, one of the shows that was most near and dear to my heart was The Game. And I'm sad. I know a lot of people might have seen the news about how they were going to have a reboot. And then now it's maybe not so much, at least not with CW. That fell through. So I'm sad about that. But somebody tagged me in some post on The Shade Room um, about a debate whether who was more toxic Derwin or Melanie and this debate matters I need y'all to go on at spot of tea podcast and vote is on our story or if it's not on our story it's on the tea time highlights and it's definitely on our Facebook I need to hear what y'all think because this is a serious topic for me now the person who who tagged me at Alexandria Ikemoni she said no question is Derwin and I'm like what LaJuan Houston commented and said, both depends on the season slash episode, and I couldn't agree more. Let us not forget, the latter days of Melanie was very toxic. You swabbing babies, you doing things, you know, when, when it was found out that Janae was pregnant, all kinds of stuff like this. She did very toxic things as well. She wanted, she wanted which is something that a human can understand, but doesn't mean that it's right, especially as we grow up. You know, she wanted so much of her identity or, or her self-worth to come from her Derwin's love. And that is definitely toxic. Like, no. But, of course, he didn't have to cheat in the beginning. Um, so it, it, I, I truly believe that there is no one person over the other, especially, like, the BT days, which we know was not the best depiction of the game, but she, you know, the stuff that she did to Tasha and all stuff like that, it wasn't just her being maybe a toxic person in a relationship, um, juxtaposing that, but just a friend. Some of the things that she did was not not good. Like that would what we would nowadays consider being a toxic friend. So I want y'all to chime in. I really need to know what y'all think. And speaking of things to watch while you're home, things to do while you're home, a lot of you commented back and said that you wanted me to do a little segment about car seats. So the way that I'm going to do it is just give you some tips that I can explain verbally. And I would be more than happy to if anybody wants to take a picture of their car seat and their child strapped in and they want to 
um, ask me any specific questions. I can try to answer the best that I can. I would even be willing to FaceTime or whatever because it is something that I'm extremely passionate about. It A car seat is not just something that you put a baby in, sit them in a the back seat, and keep it moving. It matters that they're harnessed, that the seat is harnessed to the car properly. It matters the way that they're positioned in because I've literally seen many cases of babies being properly installed and being involved in rollover crashes and making it out with maybe a few scratches if that I've seen a case here locally where a mother died from the accident and the baby was unharmed because they were properly harnessed so that's the how big a difference it makes now I got certified in the state of Georgia, so I'm more well-versed on Georgia law, but I can install and speak to seats worldwide. And I would say that one big thing that I see is people turning their child too soon. So in Georgia, the law is you cannot turn a baby forward facing before they are one year old. That's law. You could get a ticket for it. I'm pretty sure that's pretty standard um, throughout most states, but your car seat um, manufactured a car seat manual is something that is one of those few manuals that you actually don't just want to throw away so your car seat manual most seats are not going to even recommend or or mandate you to turn a baby before they are one year old any of those seats that have the little candle that's what we like to call you know a infant carrier um, they're they're rear facing they're made to be rear facing only so there is in no way acceptable for those seats that have the handle to be turned forward facing ever, ever. Not, oh, my baby's bored looking at the back. Guess what? Your baby doesn't know what bored means. You're bored and you're an adult and you understand what bored means and you're projecting that onto them, but they don't know what it means and you're putting them in grave danger by turning them forward facing. Rear facing is always going to be your safest configuration. Because in the event of any crash, the seat is going to ride down the crash and bring less force onto that baby. So that's the whole ideology behind it. Every step that you graduate up from taking your baby from rear facing, the less safe they are. So let's say that you're like, well, he's one year old. I want to see him. I'm going to turn him around. Um, Now that he's forward facing, he's one less level of protected and then when you take them what we call a five-point harness so that's how the car seats have the little um, chest clip and they have the crotch strap which is the bottom part that's a five-point harness when they go from being forward facing to in a booster seat that's another degree of safety that you're taking away because a seat belt is made for an adult so the only difference between uh, what you as a fully grown, fully developed adult is having protect you and a three-year-old, which a lot of people are putting three-year-olds in, in booster seats, is that little boost up. That's it. Think about that. You know that your body is way more developed than a three-year-old. So people a lot of times are so eager to try to boost their kid up because they think, oh, well, you're so big now or whatever. You are putting them in danger by graduating them too soon um always check the labels on the side of the seat they will tell you the height and weight requirements that's what you go by it will tell you the height and weight requirements of this kind of seat or being positioned a certain way so key thing we always tell parents or caregivers to keep the child rear facing as long as possible my son has 
past one year old, he is still rear facing. Some people will say, oh, well, their legs are getting long. They can cross their legs. It's a little thing that some of us techs say it's not anything official, but it's just to kind of keep in the back of your mind. We rather break the legs than the spine. We can fix your legs. Spinal cord injuries are much more severe and much, you know, have much more serious ramifications. So when that child does reach that max, you know, weight requirement or height requirement to be in rear facing or, okay, the seat is clearly too big for them to be that direction or they're too big for the seat to be that direction or something like that, then yes, flip them. Um, But again, that five point harness is big. I don't want to go too deep into this because then I'll be talking forever and ever and I want to get to the poor. But one of the other things that I commonly see besides children being facing the wrong way is the harness, the chest clip, which is the part that goes over the chest is too low. So we never want that um, above on the stomach section. We want that on the hard part, on the chest, armpit level. So a lot of times people will just clip it in and think, oh, well, it's good because it's strapped in. No, that can cause internal injuries if you have a certain crash that can push and then it's on that squishy part. If we have it on that hard part, the sternum, the the, uh, armpit level, then that's a lot safer because that part is already hard, even when they're newborns. So just keep those things in mind. There are so many more things that I could tell you. But again, if you have specific car seat questions, please feel free to DM at Spot of Tea Podcast. You could DM me personally at the Jasmine Lee. Um, I would love to definitely help because it is that important to keeping our kids safe. All right, guys. So for today's pour, I really want to bring light to a topic that I feel like is overshadowed. Yes, on the show, we've talked about miscarriage. We've talked about grief, but we haven't really touched on infertility. And so many of my listeners I know are soon to be moms or one day moms um, and want to be moms. But we sometimes take for granted the actual gift it is to be able to carry a child so today as my guest I have with me Janae Cook who is the founder of Sister Surviving Infertility MRKH Awareness so please welcome Janae to the Spot of Tea podcast hey girl Hey, how you doing? Uh, I'm good. I'm good. I'm so glad that you can join us. Um, And I know that I hit them with a lot at the beginning. So I know that some people are probably like MRKH. Fill me in. So I know that you and I have talked. So can you just fill everyone in uh, a little bit about what that actually stands for and what it is? All right, it's an acronym. Honestly, I can't pronounce the entire word. It's like 23 letters, but MRKH is a rare disorder that affects one in every 5,000 women. So there's different types, but the general definition, I guess you can say, is we're born without a full reproductive system. So in my case, I was born with eggs, fallopian tubes, and the lower half I was born without. So uh, let me see. For some women, a lot of us are really born without a uterus or a cervix. So in that case, that means you can't have children. You don't have a period. Um, that's the gist of it. Wow. And so walk me through when you found out that this was something, this condition is something that you had. I found out when I was 18. So for us, my mom and I were concerned that I hadn't had my cycle yet. So the doctor said, you know, hey, by the time she turns 18, we need to 
do some tests and just like, you know, see what's going on. So at that point I hadn't had sex. And so the doctor was, you know, concerned because he didn't find an opening. So kind of going back to the definition, because it is a lot to kind of process, but we're born without a vagina. So what that means is we have the external genitalia, but the vaginal canal didn't form. So for a lot of women, well, it depends on a woman, but some of us find out when we don't have our cycle. And that was the case with me. So uh, the doctor tried to do a pap smear. You know, of course, he realized there was no opening. And then I had to go to another doctor. I went to someone else. And it was like just, you know, a series of tests until we found out, you know, something else was going on. So I think I went through testing for like maybe three months and then when I got the initial diagnosis you know like it was terrifying because of course you know I'm 18 you know getting ready to you know go to college graduate from high school so it was like a total blow to my ego my womanhood just it felt like you know everything that I wished for as far as you know wanting to have a family wanting to have a baby was just crushed so that's what I want to harp on most um in this conversation because I I think that oftentimes we talk about and can empathize with a parent who's lost a child. We can empathize or maybe imagine with someone who has a miscarriage. But I don't think that the struggle or the um, just emotions that come with not being able to conceive or struggling with infertility... Um, I think it kind of becomes overshadowed. So can you kind of just walk me through your journey of understanding that, processing all of what you have to deal with, and then coming to the place where you have your support group today? Oh, girl. Well, it really is an eight-year journey. (laughs) (laughs) But for me, honestly, I've gone through it all. I think for me, it just really came down to acceptance Mm -hmm. and allow myself to really grieve. You know, like one thing I always tell, you know, women in my community or just really anybody going through something, you have to feel your feelings. Mm -hmm. And so for years, I felt like, you know, when it came to my condition, I would literally just sleep it underneath the rug, you know, and it was one of those things that never went away because like I said, you know, I don't have a menstrual cycle. So what is interesting, I still have the symptoms. So I still have, you know, like the cramps and the hot flashes, backaches. I go through that. But when it is my time of the month, it's that reminder, you know, and of course you see everyone getting pregnant on Facebook and you're getting invited to like, you know, baby showers. Mm-hmm. It's a lot. Mm-hmm. And then even with black women, I feel like it's still taboo. Mm-hmm. So it was a lot. You know, I just thank God that I had, you know, supportive friends, families, you know, just people in my circle who really just supported me. You know, even though they didn't understand, I had a best friend, you know, she had just had her baby and. I can only imagine how she felt like then, you know, I have a job and my friend can't continue, you know? So people just really putting aside, you know, their, I don't say personal lives, but their blessing in a sense to make sure that I was okay. Right. No, that's, I know that means a lot um, and it goes a long way, but can you kind of tell me, um, like you said, it's been a long journey. What are some of the things that you do when you do uh, experience those triggers? Like, pregnancy announcements on social media or friends who inevitably, you know, just grow up to start families. What are some, what is some advice that you can give someone who may be struggling with infertility themselves um, when they may be triggered um, to just be able to cope? Yeah. When I do have those moments, I just try to 
really just go within. I mean, it sounds cliche, but for me, like I'm a huge, you know, believer in journaling, meditation. So I would literally just journal and cry. Like, honestly, I would just, you know, isolate myself and just really allow myself to go through it. Like I said, when you go through something traumatic and you don't process it, you know, it saves in your body. And that's one thing that my therapist told me. And I didn't realize how much trauma I had until I finally faced it. So going back to your question, it's journaling. I would talk to friends. I would pray. You know, it just really, it's one of those things where I feel like you just learn more as you unpack along your path. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I can I could absolutely understand that. And of course, every something that works for one person obviously will work different for someone else. But I think that's really big what you said about if you keep it in, it's going to stay there. Um, what about things that you've heard? Because we all know that sometimes we talked about this on our episode about grief, how sometimes people mean well, but they just say the wrong things. So what are the type of things that maybe when you've revealed these, you know, things to people, what they've said in response and, you know, basically twofold things that we can maybe advise people not to say to women who are struggling with infertility, no matter what the condition is? Yeah, for me, like, luckily, I really haven't, you know, met people or told anyone who had anything negative to say. I mean, it was like probably one girl on Facebook. I know I told, you know, this guy I was interested in, you know, he wasn't with it. He wanted to have children naturally. So I'm just blessed that, you know, like I said, I've had, you know, few to none as far as negative responses, but I feel like people just need to mind their business sometimes, though. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, when you see a woman who doesn't have a child, especially like with me, I'm almost 30. You know, I got my mom put pressure on me to have children. We got society. I feel like you just have to be, you know, just really caring, you know. And I know one thing with me, and I know, like, you know, my friends and family, they don't mean anything, you know, by it. But since I can't, you know, hold or carry my child, they'll say things like, you know, well, you can have my uterus, you know, I'll do it for you. But at the same time, it doesn't make me feel any better. You know what I'm saying? Because mm-hmm. it's like, regardless, you still can carry a child and I can't. Or, you know, people will say things like, and it's kind of going back to my condition, but it's still, you know, somewhat ties in, you know, when you're lucky, you don't have a period. It's like, well, if I had a period, I can also have a child, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So it's just really being sensitive and just putting yourself in that person's, you know, shoes. Like, I feel like sometimes people, they may overthink it. And I don't want to say shoot you like a victim, but they're over sympathizing with you. Mm-hmm. And you probably aren't even thinking about it, you know? Well, that absolutely makes sense. So you kind of touched on something that I wanted to ask you about, which is alternative forms of family. So I just would love if you could shed some light on some of the ways that you have decided that your family picture will look like, or that, you know, I'm sure that you have people in your support group, people who who you've run across who have helped enlighten you on other ways to have a family because there obviously is more than one way so if you could just you know expand on that a little bit about your kind of idea of it and things that you've learned along the way for me I definitely want to do IVF um, but you know like surrogacy it does cost so since it is pricey I think I want to try maybe once or twice and hopefully you know it does take and we don't have to repeat the process but um, outside of that, I definitely do want to adopt. Now, something that's really interesting, I wish I would have, like, you know, touched on it earlier, but I actually had a dream that I couldn't have children. So I feel like I've always had 
I don't know, like kids always just feel connected to me. Like I can literally go to a family reunion and someone with children and like, I guess, I don't know if kids can feel that empty space, like that womb, but they just totally love me. So I've always been like good with children. So for me, I don't think adoption would be, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I haven't been there so I was experienced it, but I don't think adoption would be too hard for me just because I have that loving nature. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like when you can't have children or when you can't carry a child, you just have this ability to just, I don't know, you just connect with kids. It's such a weird mm-hmm. way to explain. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember going to, like, my family reunion, and I met my cousins for the first time. They were, like, three and five years old. So these are, like, babies in a sense, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, the next year, they were walking around with my picture asking where I was. Couldn't remember my name, but it's like they knew my spirit in my heart. Wow. So I know, child. It was just so touching. So I was saying, yeah, surrogacy, adoption, and hopefully I can find somebody to pay for it. That's one stress about infertility is like the cost because it's a lot of times not covered under insurance. Mm -hmm. And with me, like I said, I'm almost 30. And I looked into, you know, like um, freezing my eggs and, you know, IVF and my job doesn't cover it. So I know that once I start that process, I definitely do want to be married because obviously, like, you know, I want that emotional support, but also financial support. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Absolutely. No, that makes perfect sense. Uh, I love something that you said there. You said that it's not that you can't have a child, you can't carry one. And I think that there's power in the words that we use. Um, because just like there's more than one way to have a family, there's more than one way to be a mom. Um, so I love that you kind of changed that and were strategic about the way that you said it. I want- oh, yeah, that's very paramount. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I just wanted to give you a chance to just share any words of encouragement with any woman, no matter their condition, that may be struggling with infertility, may be struggling with carrying, or maybe even struggling with accepting an alternate form of what family can look like. If you can just say anything to that heart right now, what would you say? Mm, I would definitely say trust God's plan. You know, that was something that, I think I struggle with, and even sometimes I do. I have my moments where, you know, like I said, I'll see a family, you know, at the park, or I'll see a commercial or just something on television. Like, you can't escape, you know, people having children, Mm -hmm. you know, but you also can't play the victim either. And just kind of expounding on that, one of the reasons why I actually started my support group is because my best friend, Brittany, you know, she encouraged me to stop playing the victim. And I didn't know that I was, you know, like I just would throw myself a pity party and so sorry for myself. And don't get me wrong. Like, you know, that was also a part of my grief process, like the healing part. But I didn't realize it because I was just so deep in my pain. And so, um, yeah, trusting God's plan and just like realizing that I feel like you have angels that are across your path that will lead you to the right direction. You know, like I've met so many incredible people, just mentors, friends you know, guys who I've dated who really didn't see it as, you know, a deal breaker or a big deal. And it doesn't define me, you know? So I would say those people are for sure. Absolutely. I think that's a perfect note to end it on that your circumstance, whatever it may be, it doesn't define you. I um, so, so I love that you said that. Thank you so much for your transparency. Um, for your I know that, that is not and joining us easy to talk about, but that's the whole point of Spotted Tea Podcast to bring thank you for me. things that aren't 
easy to talk about that may be taboo to light and just pour into people who may understand from firsthand knowledge or just enlighten other people to be more aware. So the thing that I really want you to sip on this week is knowing that there is more than one way to skin a cat. Whether your situation is infertility, whether your situation is a different form of family, a different form of motherhood, whatever your situation is, it doesn't even have to be related to children, whatever it is, just know that it doesn't have to be traditional. We say it all the time, your situation might not look like everyone else's, but who cares? So just make sure that you keep that in mind, that you sit in that and you walk in that. I just want you all to remember to be safe out there. Stay home if you can. Remember that we will get past this time. I know that it's a lot of uncertainty. I know it's a lot of craziness going on. But just please continue to take care of yourself and know that everything will work itself out. Keep drinking your tea because we are trying to stay on it, girl. Don't let this quarantine have you corn thick, okay? Um, and definitely send me some tea of the week recommendations if you have one that I have not mentioned. I would love to try it and we can enjoy it together because of course I'm going to save a seat for you here at the tea time table on the spot of tea podcast.